John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 821.2T0223, certificate number 36282, Myers-Briggs. Those are only terms to designate a certain penchant, a certain tendency. For instance, the tendency to be more influenced by environmental influences or more influenced by the, the subjective factor. That's all. Do you know your Myers-Briggs uh, uh, denotation? I've never done the test. Like, thanks to the internet, I get the sense that there are, like, ones that people brag about, like, oh, well, of course I was late. I'm an INTJ yeah. or whatever. Right. But I actually don't it's four categories of two options. So there's 16 possibilities. 16 possibilities. That's worse than D&D. I can't be expected to learn all of those. Yeah, do you know what your D&D alignment is? Oh, sure. You're you're lawful good, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Lawful good is maybe a little generous. I'm lawful good, lawful neutral. I'm like, I'm on the line. Yeah. I always uh, always test it as chaotic good. Tested. There's actually a test you oh, can for take? Sure. For sure. I mean, all of these are, are, are subjective tests. Or do you just mean right? tested by somebody who had to live with you for three years and was like, yeah, you're chaotic. Everybody, good. just as everybody always has recognized that I am whatever I am, uh, introverted, you know, I am whatever, FP or whatever it is. I don't remember what I am. I should have, I actually should, you're have not done, doing a show about should have it. done the test in order to to firmly establish what I am. But but uh, But everybody always said, oh, you know, not only are you bipolar, but you're chaotic good. But lately, I've felt more and more chaotic neutral, um, which I don't think – I think that was based on a thing, uh, an internet meme where it showed, whatever, 16 different ways of putting away a loaf of bread. Uh, How, you know, whether you use a twist tie, whether you put it this way or that way, and I, and I, I read as chaotic neutral – and yeah, I always thought of myself. As I, I like those words like nine fonts or whatever. And yeah. You can, yeah. I like those a lot. And I, re- I think they really do. They actually all work because they do reinforce my idea that I'm lawful good, lawful neutral-ish. Well, it's funny about these personality tests uh, that are, I think the internet has has popularized. They all became sort of initially popular really in the in the public sphere in the 1980s, which kind of corresponds to um to also a period where actual clinical psychologists really tried to debunk them and say they don't they're not actually 
part, they're not reflective or predictive of actual psychology. Is that what is that what let them become popular? Uh, well, people hearing that they were not accurate. <laughs> no, I think they got adopted as part of uh, as we'll see in this episode. Uh, part of they uh, they were absorbed into corporate America's desire to streamline using psychological technology to make people more more uh, effective at the in the workplace. You can classify the number of parts in your machines and you can yeah. classify the different kinds of uh, uh, income you receive in your books. Why wouldn't you be able to classify your 16 types of employees? 16 and, types and, of employees. And treat them accordingly. But also there was a I, in the 1980s just an explosion of pop psychology and that really started in the 70s I'm okay you're okay yeah. um, and the and est but by the 80s, it had disseminated to being something that you would read about in Time magazine. And everybody wanted to know kind of – everybody in the, uh, the you know, white-collar sphere of the workplace wanted to know, like, what am I? Who am I? What am I? Um, and the internet just made that into a – you know, there's only so much stuff you can do on the internet, right? And that's almost a – formatting accident you know in magazines it's reasonably easy to fill out a questionnaire and then grade yourself but uh magazines are not cosmo is not the right technology delivery for that really a web page is the right delivery for that that's right because you can answer 10 questions and immediately get a diagnosis in, Co in cosmopolitan you want to you, you do a, a 10 question survey is your husband cheating on you and if he is, what are you supposed to, you know, then what do you do? There, there needs to be a follow-up article that tells you how to deal there with it. There usually is. Doesn't the magazine then just say you have to like um, put an ice cube uh, yeah, down his pants or something? A, but it's limited to a paragraph, whereas on the internet, it can send you down a rabbit hole of, you know, 10, ten ways to know that your cheating husband is, is secretly in the closet or whatever. Right, because it'll be designed, you know, the magazine cannot be designed interactively to keep you bound up in the magazine for hours, which is how a lot of... The internet is designed. And the, and the internet is a sorting mechanism, really. And why not, again, just like corporations, why not all sort ourselves into, into 16 different categories? Are you saying it's pernicious? Like the more they know about you, the better they can tailor your ads and things? Oh, no. I, 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 although that's probably true because everything is true Yeah, at least now. it's a side effect of it. But, uh, but no, I think it's um, the effect of personality tests, although clinical psychologists would say that most of them do not actually have any valid they're not validated by results of there's no data to validate most of the conclusions of most of the personality tests and we'll huh. see that there are some that get a lot closer to being using the scientific method but in terms of the kind of they're often denigrated as as um, the businessman's astrology. They're basically, I was going to say, they're basically horoscopes. And this is also kind of the 80s-ness of it all, you know, with an, uh, an astrologer on every newspaper and uh, celebrity astrologers on every entertainment show and an astrologer in the White House. Right. Um, and there's an effect with horoscopes where no matter what you read about yourself, you nod and think, yeah, yeah. Well, so that is the the one of the primary critiques of of these uh, this this sort of sixteen typology, uh, you know, are you introverted? Are you so so forth and so on? Uh, because each one of those sixteen 
is very complimentary of the person that you know like <laughs> no one ever reads there's not their, a bad one yeah there's no there's none that say you pull the, you pull the limbs off frogs yeah you're really a bad person and you ought to stay home they're all complimentary but unlike horoscopes which are just the randomly apportioned by the by the your birthday i mean there's no there's no self selecting in horoscopes you can't say well i'm a virgo but i really prefer the leo horoscope uh these are very subjective and they're very um like you they're biased toward your self idea and so you answer the questions and whether or not you're answering the right. questions like accurately or or aspirationally, it's not like somebody is observing you. Um, that's right. Saying you know what is actually the truthful answer to this question for Ken? Yeah, it's it's, it's what's my self perception. And so of the sixteen, it although the answer is flattering, it does feel tailored to you. And in that way, you know this is this is also how fortune telling works. The, that they talk to you enough that they get a sense of what you might want to hear. Yeah, or? they give you these vague generalities of like, well, you seem like a generous person. And you go, I kind of am a generous person. And through that, they work their way toward ca- characterizing you in a way that's flattering and also feels tailored. It does address, I've said this before, my complaint about horoscopes, which is that uh, it doesn't really suggest a mechanism by which the position of, of uh, Mars would affect, w- would affect my attitude toward other people or money or, or whatever it is. Where, whereas these have the, you know, maybe they're pseudoscience, but they at least have the trappings of um, data. You know, I have, I have fed my data into the computer by answering these questions. What is the test like? Uh, the test is just a series of sort of yes or no questions. And, and in Myers-Briggs, you, you grade it on a strongly yes, middle, you know, sort of, so, yeah, pretty much uh, weak yes, no answer. A tortoise is crossing a highway. You know, you what is it? You're walking through a desert. A tortoise is upside down. It's it's not it's nothing quite like that. It's not really trolley problem stuff. It's it's not, it's not it's boy like, camp. I like having my desk organized. Oh, okay. You know, strongly agree, strongly disagree. Um, in a in a does in the hope that and and this is another one of the main uh, criticisms of Myers Briggs is that they're looking for. A really bicameral, bipolar uh, division between, for instance, dichotomies. That's their, their dichotomies, um, and you take these tests now, kind of all the time. I don't know. Have you? Do you shy away from them, or when one falls into your lap, do you take it? No, nah, I don't take it. I, I mostly for the thing the reason that I I kind of feel like it's it's because so many of them are now bull. So many of them end with which Sopranos character are you? Yeah, or, right. Or log in to see which your, what well, your yeah. new job opportunities. There is that. Yeah. So I kind of feel like, you know, if I would actually, if there were one of these in a psychology textbook, I would love to take them. In fact, when I was, I remember in the eighties reading up on all these different tests, the MMPI and, and whatever, right. and, and just being annoyed that due to copyright and academic reasons, it wasn't easy to get your hand on the test. You know, yeah. they had to be administered by a professional. And so I, I couldn't take them, and it bothered me. But now that they're everywhere, I just think, well, they're all bull. They're like those maps that say what the favorite Halloween candy is in every state. Well, and that's another way that the internet has popularized this stuff, because although Myers-Briggs, the test itself was trademarked by the Myers-Briggs company, mm-hmm. they didn't, and it was a it was an oversight, they didn't actually trademark the theory. Uh, but- and so... 
there are like the four letter thing. Well, that and also yeah, just the sixteen oh, types. I see. I see. So you can rename the sixteen types and run your own test. And there are all kinds of websites that are like the sixteen types. So you there you can you can take the test over and over, and and it's it's proliferated. To I mean, there are so many versions of this now. And one of the great parlor games that we've played around here is to take one of these tests and then have the other people in the room take it for, for you, you yeah, and see what you get. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, they might be more accurate than you would be. But, uh, but around, uh, you know, around this household, we've probably done that a few times. And generally everybody, um, although, although the percentages vary, it's, you're pretty, you have a pretty accurate sense of yourself. The problem is that, that because it's so subjective, there is, there's a bias and this is something that we've we've recognized about testing that it's one of the critiques of the SAT is that there are biases uh, of are you a test taker like are you do you have a verbal acuity do you have a language acuity if you do you're going to do better on a test that is dependent on you know, on synonyms, right? On using language to answer the questions. And here, maybe what you might get a sense of where the questions, you know, some of the um, the intention behind the individual questions, and you, so you can you can lead your answers toward the outcome you might want on some level. Well, that, and also, I mean, there are the people that that tend to be uh, you know, feelers who who want to, um, who want everybody to be happy also will answer questions in, uh, in the kind of, they never will make a definitive, like I'm very, I like my desk very clean. Uh, yeah. They always answer to the middle. Like, so sure, sort of, you know, like they want to, they want not to be Definitive, whereas other people will answer way out on the scale, you know, whether uh, or not. And so you get these percentages that are so I so I said earlier that that Myers Briggs uses this scale of like strongly agree, strongly disagree, and it doesn't. And this is a criticism of Myers Briggs. Myers Briggs is very much like yes you, or no. You pick this or that. So people that are that are very assertive are going to pick things, you know, are going to be very bipolar, right? They're going to be very dichotomous. They're going to say, absolutely yes, absolutely no. I have a tendency when I take these tests to try to be as definitive as possible. I would like to, but I'm terrible at it. Like I, maybe, I don't know if it's not having a strong sense of self, but I think it's more like, well, I would like my desk to be clean, but in yeah. practice, it's often is pretty messy. How do I, how do I indicate on this forum that I'm, that, that thing about, that complex thing about myself? You know? And and I always try to, yeah, to think about the way this, the system, you know, we're both yeah. trying to intuit the intention right. and I try to intuit like, okay, well, yes, all, both things are always true of everyone. But That's why which, horoscopes work. Which am I, you know? Um, but what Myers-Briggs does is reduce all that down to, you, there's, no, there's no bell curve in the, te- in the test results. You're either an introvert or an extrovert. And one person could be really close to the middle, but whichever small way they lean, they're an introvert. And they're in the same category as somebody that is yeah, that you know, register is very strongly introverted across the And that's spectrum. the problem with these. One of the problems. Either or. Yeah. I, I assume one of the, I mean, 
I mean, there could be other problems. Like, I assume there's a major philosophical problem about, like, are these really meaningful ways to categorize the human brain, the human mind and personality? But there's also the question of whether the questions chosen really predict the traits they think they're predicting. You know, like, is there data showing that, uh, you know, a messy desk, for example, correlates to what whichever of the of the polarities they're trying to judge there, you know, or, or is that just somebody's intuition in the forties? Well, it, it, in the tests that have survived or or rather the tests that do have, um, some kind of clinical reliability there, there are what they call factors, which are, if you take, um, across a broad spectrum of questions, you do have a tendency, you are able to say, Oh, all of these questions are kind of related to an unseen, ca- you know, like a like a catch-all of uh, that that can that does tie them all together. A messy desk, fastidiousness, and conscientiousness do tend to aggregate. And that, it, that's based on data. Yeah, yeah that's okay. based on data, and so um, in the early days of compiling this, these tests, there were often. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of questions. And over time they were reduced and simplified to like, Oh, these are all questions that are kind of factors. These correlate so well that we can, that we can streamline the test. We can streamline the test. And there are, you know, there's data that's, there's Q data, which is the data that you get from questionnaires. And then there's L data, which is data that you can, uh, that you can gauge from looking at a person's life. Like an observer would do this? Yeah. Life history. It it does within a, within a clinical context. Q Q data, by the way, is also, uh, the kind of Star Trek, the next generation fan fiction. I write slash fiction. Oh, is that right? Q data. Do you want to read some of my Q data stories? He's very, he's, he's unpredictable, but pretty sexy in a, in a chaotic neutral way. It's canon that he is fully functioning. Is that right? If you know what I mean. Oh, I didn't. Well, Canon within the Star Trek community or just in within your fanfic? In, in my household, I see. mostly. I see. No, it's actually on the show specifically. There's surprising uh, amount of discussion of uh, of Data's genitals. <laughs> a lot of a lot of the um, oh, I thought you were talking about Q and Data and Data. Oh, together, right? That's like that's, that's the fanfic. That's the slash in the slash fic it's between the Q and the D. The thing is, if Data Q was, wants the D, if Data was catching and not pitching, it wouldn't matter. It it would not matter. No. Well, I mean, it depends on how he's. It depends on how he's constructed. Right. Oh, I guess so. We don't know. Like, does Data poop? Hard to say. He might just let off steam. <laughs> Out his ears. Poop. <laughs> like the Tin Woodsman. Uh, psych, psych, psychologists want to collect L data because one of the desires, one of the ways that you would test these tests right. is to see if they're predictive. If somebody is... Um, if somebody has these qualities, wouldn't those qualities, if, if you could reduce someone to one of 16 types, wouldn't that be represented then in what happens in their life? If you're, if you have, if you're called the executive by one of these 16 traits, do you become an executive? If you are, uh, you know, an, a sensitive introvert, do you become, a? and so it's a big part of intelligence testing. Like, right. you know, these would be legitimate if they could actually predict re- real world success. But of, of course that depends on how we have tied 
academic achievement to real world success, and it's and, tricky. And it and it gets trickier, right? Because typing people is both it's like a self fulfilling prophecy. Well, that, but it also it has it tr- trends into sort of fascistic uh, impulses too, right? You want to you want these people over here and those people over there. You know, there's a there like in, like a society might decide. Um, because you have these letters, you're better served doing this, and we, well, treat, we treat you like that. Sure, the Japanese model of you take a test in in elementary school, and that determines the course of your life, and that's true in a lot of Europe, education European systems, societies right. too. Yeah, like very very young, it's like nope, vocational school for you, buddy. Yeah, you're not going to college. Uh, but also, I mean, using intelligence tests to segregate communities or to to yeah. um, to justify mistreatment, maltreatment, uh, discrimination, but also there's a utopian uh, hope that this that a greater understanding of oneself will en- enable a society, a more egalitarian society, because people will have this um, this evidence, self generated evidence that they should be pursuing a certain career path. Or they should socialize with certain people. I mean, life is very confusing and complicated, and often you have to make these decisions when you're at a young age and totally incompetent to do so. You know, yeah. I, I think about you know taking my kids on to tour college campuses. Oh yeah, yeah. As long as you do this two-hour tour, you'll be able to make an informed decision about which of the thousands of institutions <laughs> of higher learnings will serve you well for the rest of your life. Um, a two-hour tour where they're only showing right. you, like, they're handing you the brochure where it's like a, re- a rainbow of people, you know? It's such a crazy system. So, yeah, I, I feel like the, that's the appeal of this kind of testing. And I, and I say that as somebody who was once in a, the wrong career, one I was ill-suited to. Right. And I would have loved a database way to find out about myself that I wasn't going to love some things about it. Well, so, although personality Typing and testing goes all the way back to Herodotus, you know, or or Plato, right? Like, it's, were they like these? These are the kinds of Greek there be. Well, if you think about phlegmatic, sclerotic, uh, uh, right. you know, like Black sanguine, bile, all that, yeah. all the humors, right? The 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 humors dominated for uh, for two centuries, real or I'm sorry, two millennia. As uh, imagine looking at a, at a newspaper back then. I will consult the broadsheet. It's like your horoscope. Ah, black bile. Black bile. I will have a, a lucky encounter by midday. And those, those were. I mean, the that was that was well understood to be the 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 four types, right? Melancholic and um, basically, it's what I mean. It's it's just they're kinds of emotional affect, right? There's the sad people and the angry people. It's kind of funny to think about. Like boiling down the complexity of the human mind into such like into such a basic way. Hey, are you are you one of the sad guys or the angry guys? Well, and that remains kind of um, that remains at the core. That's the critique of a right? lot of these personality tests, including the ones that are demonstrably you know or or data backed. Um, so the the four humors were uh, if you have yeah, I mean if you have red if you're sanguine and you have red blood, blood you're friendly you're you're uh you're you're, you're optimistic mm-hmm. um if you have yellow bile you're bitter and you're uh you're quick to anger but you're also daring and you know uh, and it, it, it it's hogwarts the, the four humors were um 
they thought that you could actually see from the color of someone's skin. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to point out that even this very early one has the same kind of seemingly scientific backing that yeah. the, all the all the 20th century ones. So do. the bitter, short-tempered ones are have a yellowish cast to their, I mean, presumably white skin. Oh, so they're racist too. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, black bile, they're lazy and fearful and lazy and fearful and sickly and they have black hair and black eyes. So, you know. Very early there's like a, you know. a phenotype too. And then phlegmatic are uh, sort of forgetful and and low-spirited and they have they have uh, blonde hair or white hair. This seems crazy to me. Yeah, like, I mean, not just the scientific backing for it, but just the idea that if you were to try to separate your friends into four categories, that one of them would be forgetful and sickly. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, you look at yourself and no, the thing is that you're, that everybody is one of the innovations is of course, recognizing everybody is everything or in, in proportions. Right. right but and if, if it were, if you, if all your humors were adjusted, you would be, exactly a perfect medium of all of them and if you are more forgetful than the average man it's because one one is out of balance yeah so so our our modern conception of this really begins like all of psychology in uh the relationship between freud and carl jung and you know freud was jung's mentor and as their uh, as their ideas in this burgeoning field of of analysis and psychology, you know, Freud wanted it to be focused on analysis. Freud had a sense of the libido as being the driving force of the unconscious. It's you, sex, basically. Yeah, Jung wanted to have a broader sense of the the mind. He believed in what he called the collective unconscious, which is this. Uh, you know, the, the archetypes of human beings true across all cultures. Hard to demonstrate, see of meaning that underlies. He's a bit more of a mystic, right? Well, so he's, he is both more of a mystic and also denigrated as a mystic. You think it's unfair? Well, it's just that, that all, all of these initial forays into psychology, it was all an art, a magical art, right? There's no, these were not database. Terra incognita. Yeah. They're not, they're, no one's coming to, uh, coming to this with the scientific method. It's all anecdotal and it's also inspirational. But Jung is, although Jung does believe in the soul, he's also a, a, a doctor and a scientist. And I mean, working, but, but most of it is inspired uh, thinking in the in the field of philosophy rather than in in um, uh, you know any kind of yeah, science actual, you know cl- clinical because clinical psychology. how do you how do you start a thing and 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 not have any not not have any theory and immediately begin collecting data I mean you know you'd have to have a theory to drive it that's true uh, and y- so Jung has his um, his theories or theory is that there are kind of four functions that drive consciousness, you know, four, um, four traits. There's sense, you know, that your senses, Mm -hmm. there's your intuition. And those are both in a, in the subcategory of your perception. So, Intuition is all, is a perception along with sense, and they're not dichotomous at this point. 
And then there's the rational. So that's the kind of irrational side of, of our, um, of our consciousness. And then the rational side, the, the, the judgment side, you have thinking, decision making. Yeah. You have your thinking and then you have your feelings and feelings are, are rational in this. Um, interesting. You know, they're not, it's not, that's not the dichotomy we use today. Right. It's not, it's not that feelings are, uh, they're, they're a legitimate way of coming to conclusions of, of judge, judging scenarios. Cause at least maybe you're more aware of them than, than sense and intuition, I guess. Yeah, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Well, and you can, you can judge people based on your feelings. They're not, they're not, they're, they are connected to reality. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, the, right. They're a response to some stimulus. And I mean, you know, sense and intuition is also, but, but, but you're not so aware of the connection, yeah. maybe. And then these are kind of uh, subsumed beneath the, the really dichotomous introversion and extroversion. And so you can be, and introversion and extroversion are the primary sort of, um, bicameral ways of being. And then with, within those you have sensing, you know, you can be introverted and, and use your senses introverted and use intuition, et cetera. I see. So it's, it's which of the four things you kind of fall back on as, as far as decision-making and living your life. Right. So, so your, your four, you know, sense functions or, or uh, making sense of the world functions are modified by whether or not you're an introvert or an extrovert. And your the dominant pair is how you live your conscious life. And then the oppositional pair is your unconscious. That so, seems very speculative. So this is where Jung is just like, and then also, and you know. And obviously the two that you're not emphasizing are, right, because are under the covers. He and, recognizes that, that they're present, all, of, all four and both uh, types yeah. are represented in all people. So he's trying to if, you're, to... if they're not coming to the fore, they must be somewhere in the background. Right. He's trying to make a system out of it. And, you know, Jung and Freud have a falling out. Jung, is, uh, Jung goes in and out of fashion. Eventually, the, as psychology becomes a field, you know, both of them are, are recognized as like very important foundational figures, but really their stuff doesn't hold up. Yeah. Uh, to rigorous testing. And even now, both are in or out of fashion, depending on what subreddit you're on. There are still Freudians and Jungians in the field. Yeah. But um, they, you can might, they actually might be cherry-picking ideas and, and reinterpreting them through the lens of... You can go through Jungian analysis now, but it's not covered by insurance. When he... <laughs> When he says introversion and extroversion is like the big divide of humanity, is he is he meaning the same thing that we would colloquially mean by that today? He does, okay. and that's that's one of the consistent, uh, you know, delimiters. Is that the right word? Sure. Um, I have no idea how you're going to finish the sentence, but sure. That that persists even into the contemporary ways of of an analyzing personality that are that do have science. Behind it. That's one I read as a kid that really just intuitively seemed like, yeah, wait, that does explain me. It explains the divisions between different kinds of people I know. Um, if I hadn't, I think if I hadn't seen it, I wouldn't have known that there were people who, you know, were not just more outgoing, but actually 
you know, were energized by that in a way that I was energized by not having to do that sometimes. The introvert extrovert thing hit me like a ton of bricks in my thirties. Uh, a close female friend at one point we were having a, a late night conversation on a, on a deck uh, in back of a house smoking cigarettes. And I was talking about myself as this extroverted person that knew everyone in town and was a musician and loved to talk and be in the center of attention at parties. And she took a drag on her cigarette and said, you're the most introverted person I know. Like I'm a playwright and I know, you know, like profoundly introverted people and you at your, in your soul are, uh, are like a deep, deep introvert. And it, and I, it shook me. Did you immediately believe this diagnosis? Because she's not a professional, John. Well, she's a playwright. In, in a in a way, she she I she had my faith. You know, I already thought of her as a as a very intelligent person. Her name, by the way, is Kristen Cosmos, and she continues to be a playwright to this day. I highly recommend you look at her work. Uh, but she, and maybe go to her for a personality analysis. Well, she's pretty good at it. But but what happened was it resonated. It hit me that because then she explained, you know, introverts. Uh, extroverts get energy from interaction with the outside world and introverts get ener- get their energy, restore their energy by being alone. That's not shyness necessarily. It's not at all shyness. And, and, rec- and I had always thought introversion, oh, that's somebody that's got no social, skill- social skills, that sits at home and doesn't want, you know, can't make eye contact. You were thinking of nerds versus jocks, yeah. the, the other great dichotomy and, of the era. And as she explained it to me further, I realized that this was at the core of a lot of the, 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 a lot of the ways that I failed that I felt I failed to be a thriving person in the world hmm. because I was so, I had so many extroverted skills. How could I not convert those into the power that extroverts have in the world as mainstream, you know, the, the world is designed for and by extroverts, right? Introverts, at least traditionally were, you know, were less able because the world happens in, in interaction, Right. And realizing that, oh, all the things that I thought of that were, uh, were uh, things about myself that, that felt like sicknesses or, or bad spirits, you know, like your humors were out of balance, evil upon me were just me needing to be alone to recharge and me being not, not looking at the world or at human interaction in an extroverted way at all. And, and all my extroversion was a, was a technique, right? You have yes. it too. You, You're an electric car. You're a Nissan Leaf. You serve the world very well out and about town. Zoom, zoom. But you know what? I have to go home. You got to go back to your little garage and plug in. Well, and I never, I never shacked up with anyone. I didn't like roommates. I didn't want to be around people except when I walked out the door on stage, right? And walking out on stage, I did feel oh. like I was in the performance as long as I was out. Think how different it would be if on that deck she'd said, oh no, you're just a narcissistic misanthrope. Yeah, right. <laughs> it would have been like, you love oh. it, You love attention, but not human connection. Oh, thank you. You'd be like, what? <laughs> no, that's what I thought I was, a uh, narcissistic misanthrope. And realizing that, no, in fact, I was this other thing. And so it, it became a way that I described myself and defined myself for a long time. And then over time realized, wait a minute, there's not, I cannot be, I cannot look at myself this dichotomously, right? I have, I'm, I'm more complicated than that. You contain multitudes. Ken, uh, Christmas is upon us. No. Halloween is upon us. 
And uh, yeah. And it's time to start thinking of Halloween gifts and Thanksgiving gifts for the people closest to you. Are those the big gift giving uh, occasions in your household? Halloween and Thanksgiving? My daughter yesterday said that Halloween was her favorite holiday, even over her birthday, which has always been top of the of the pile. Does she know her birthday is not a holiday? Uh, she doesn't know, and I'm not going to be the one that tells her, but, uh, Halloween, she said it had, it combines my two favorite things, candy and costumes. No gifts. No gifts. I always, as a kid, I loved getting a stocking full of candy on Christmas, but that was just like an asterisk compared to the a bunch of toys. Massive bag of candy though, that you get in, at Halloween. It is a big bag. I mean, her comment might be kind of casting a little shade on the Christmas present she gets, but that's dumb she gets great christmas presents the point is that when you get to be an adult you don't really get to avail yourself of or yourselves of a giant bag of candy and you also your christmas presents kind of drop off in quality right you start getting pocket flashlights and you know it's more like what do you even get someone that age but what you can get for yourself and for your loved ones are omnibus t-shirts Omnibus t-shirts are basically a way of signaling to the rest of the world that you are a cut above. A person of taste, not just in podcasting, but in fashion, because these are good looking shirts. Have you seen the two latest ones? D- describe the shirts to me in, in, and use your most florid language. I'm not. You're not really a describer, are you? I'm not really going to do You're some like, Tim Gunn thing here. It's before. got two sleeves and it's made of cotton. The, they are the original designs from uh, ooh, back in the day, earlier in the year, or even I can't remember last calendar year. Uh, the omnibus logo in kind of omnibus shelter, uh, Fallout Shelter yellow, and yet, and yet, this is a twist on it. It's a it's a sparkly gold yeah. that is very glam. That is glam. I, I, cool. I was always shy about wearing sparkle uh, t shirts until I got one, and then. All I want is sparkle t-shirts now. And I don't think they're the kind where the glitter gets everywhere. Although, no. you know, I don't want to face a bunch of lawsuits if your glitter gets everywhere. Right. The other one is, uh, says Futurelings with... Um, That's the one you designed. Yeah, I drew some I drew some various kinds of Futurelings. A tentacle and a robot hand and a lobster claw. And this one is that design, but glow in the dark. Glow, the shirt glows in yes. the dark. If you have been looking for something to make you stand out on... Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. or during on the dance floor, or during a blackout, or on, at, at, at in the club, in the club, right? Um, you know, really, all those places. What could be more appropriate than a, uh, a slightly nerdy podcast by middle-aged men? Maybe don't wear it to an astronomy uh, like sure. telescope. Group. If you're at like a dark sky event, yeah, in southern Utah. Or uh, uh, some Isle off Scotland. It might actually actually be fine. It's it'd be, it's just it's going to glow just enough that it's funny, but not enough to like to mess with the retina of your fellow yeah. astronomers. Just put a sweater on. The thing about those glow in the dark shirts is they need some exposure to light. Yeah. So oh, hide, right, so. hide them in your closet before you get to the dark sky observation event. Oh, I thought you were making a comment that nerds wouldn't see the oh, sun. <laughs> you would never go outside. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, these shirts are awesome. They're available for a limited time. And we highly suggest that you order one of each for yourself 
and then for all of the people that you love. In your Buy life. one of each size because, you know, this pandemic's been going on for a while. You don't know how much weight you're going to gain or lose. Right. And also, you never know if you're going to get a new significant other and they're going to show up and start stealing your omnibus shirt to wear as a sleep shirt. And you're like, wait a minute, like, that's mine. And then you should already have one in in a smaller or larger size. And you know that feeling when a favorite t-shirt finally starts getting a hole somewhere near the collar or under the armpit and suddenly you don't have your favorite t-shirt anymore. So you might want to get three to five of each. Depending on how punk rock you are. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, do you want an omnibus t-shirt with a big hole? I guess it depends on where it is. I, I gave a, a, a gift of a band t-shirt to a, to a lady friend of mine recently, and the next time I saw her, she had cut the sleeves off of it and the collar out of it, and I had to confess, made it a cooler shirt. Uh, yeah, that's, that's on the table. You can, you can get several of these and, and deface them. Cut the sleeves off, cut the collar out, and all of a sudden, it's like an omnibus, kind of ripped, flash dancey, uh, off-the-shoulder Cool, cool kid shirt. But do not remove the tag under penalty of law. If you want to see the new shirts and see that if they strike your fancy or any of the other merch we have available, you can always go to omnibusproject.com slash store and enter code omnibus and get absolutely nothing. <laughs> this Jungian sort of way of, of uh, analyzing psychological types, he wrote about in a book... Uh, that he published initially in German in 1921 called Psychological Types. And then it was translated into English and published as part of his collected works. And, you know, and and was, was sort of popularly disseminated in the United States and was read by the, by one of the protagonists of our story, a woman by the name of Catherine Cook Briggs, who was um, actually the, the, actually she was the same Age as Jung, almost exactly. She was born in January of 1875. Jung was born in July. Oh, wow. So this is a borderline 19th century story. Yeah, that's right. And she she's, uh, she was a, a Midwestern woman who was raised in a family that, that valued education for women at the time. And uh, she had a college degree and uh, married... Uh, married a man by the name of Briggs who became the director of the the Bureau of Standards for the United States in Washington, D.C. Oh, kind of a weights and measures yeah. Uh, thing? Yeah, so, you know, uh, somebody that was very scientifically oriented. And she, through her, through her work, although she had, a, she had an education, it was, you know, initially in, she was an Aggie. Um, that's all there was. But she, <laughs> that's right. And she went into uh, work with children. And in the course of working with children, and this was, again, sort of the fashion of the time, she wanted to test them in order to help them discover their, uh, their best vocation in life, right? This was, this was the science of psychology uh, at the time, trying to help people know whether they're going to be a, a soccer coach or a doctor of medicine. It's good for America. It's good for the workforce. This is a public good. And in the course of the, the sort of testing that she was doing on, on the children that were under her, you know, her auspices. Her aegis, would you say? Her aegis, Did right? she have auspices and an aegis? She did. She had them both. And they are both part of a, a vector uh, that's, that, is, well, that we call sp- sportiness. Um, she came up with 
four categories for children. Uh, there were meditative children, there were spontaneous children, there were sociable children, and then children that had a, a, a strong executive de- desire, you know, like our strong executive impulse. Leaders? Yeah, leaders and, and um, com- commanders. Yeah, the forceful right. kids. Uh, and in the in the course of her 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 life as a as a sort of polymath and voracious person, she read the translation of Jung, uh, his psychological types, and she recognized that his template really uh, jibed with her own observations and her own you know the, these four categories that she de- developed, and so she. Uh, adopted Jung and became an became his acolyte, and uh, you know, and a proponent of his thinking. And she then really dove into continuing the work, not you know, authorized. And she wasn't a PhD in psychology. Didn't even did he ever? Did they ever meet? Did he ever acknowledge her work? They they corresponded, um, but she was looking for practical applications of it, you know, it was less, uh, that's the, not what he was doing. Yeah. It's not, it was less to her of a, uh, I mean, I think she was engaged in the, in the philosophical aspect of it, but this was an opportunity to really order human beings and see them according to types. Applied Jungianism. Right. Applied Jungianism. Um, and she was, you know, a, a, a good writer and, wrote a couple of articles that got published in the new Republic in 1926. She published an article called meet yourself using the personality paint box. Oh, that seems so early for meet yourself, meet you yourself. know, like that, that seems like, you know, this could be a sixties era Saturday evening post article, the personality paint box, the personality paint box. That's great. Now imagine how electrifying that would be to someone in 1926. I know who, you, because you'd have to be independently developing a framework to even understand the, the sentence, meet yourself, right? Like you'd, you'd already be like, say what now? There's um, one person I can't meet, uh, Ms. Myers, and it's myself. Myself. Shake hands with oneself. Or can you? It's a fight club thing. Sit out in the parking lot and punch yourself in the face until you really feel it. And then her second book in 1928 was called Up From Barbarism. So you do, you do, I wish I could, <laughs> I wish I could show the futurelings the look on your face as I said it. Well, it just lost the whole self-help thing and became much more of a marching toward prosperity. Yes. Well, and, and, and again, this is the era right after World War One. This is the era right before, uh, in his roaring twenties, right before the, um, the depression, right before prohibition, right? And anything goes kind of time. I just love the idea that, that not reading Jung and knowing his catchphrases would be barbarity. From barbarism. Sorry, barbarism. Uh, and she, you know, she was also, you know, she was also writing a little bit of erotic fiction, maybe some fanfic involving Jung. I wasn't able to to track down any of her erotic manuscripts. Wait, she really did write erotica? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, she's an interesting person. And, and it's unfortunate that a lot of the later criticism of Myers-Briggs, and if you read... Even now, the kind of because it's very fashionable right now because Myers Briggs is so populist, yeah. it's really uh, hip to write a takedown article in Vox or whatever saying Myers Briggs is baloney. And sadly, even recent articles I'm talking about in the last year 
start off with a paragraph that's like, well, one of the reasons Myers-Briggs is is useless is it was just some couple of housewives, uh, you know, that weren't even scientists. And it's sort of like, yeah, okay. No, I'm a good ally. I'm a good feminist. I will do whatever Myers-Briggs tells me to, John. You don't have to worry about me. Well, and, you know, like that, uh, like calling uh, Catherine Briggs a, a housewife sure. is, you know. It's not like there weren't any other great male 19th century thinkers that were kind of amateurs and they fields. all were they all were you know th- that's that's what science was um so catherine and her husband only had one child a daughter by the name of isabel and isabel went to swarthmore isabel was uh you know oh oh and i should say catherine was was homeschooled by her parents who were both academics And she homeschooled Isabel. So neither of them had any formal schooling before the day they entered college. Um, And so they were coming from a, they were, they were coming from this self-educated place, self-read. I mean, if you think about a, a, what she would have been, what, almost 50 years old when she read Jung for the first time, um, you know, she's, oh, and in 1923, right. She's, she's an exceptional kind of Yeah. Not a lot person. of women her age reading Jung. Probably. Right. I mean, I'm not currently reading Jung and I'm her age. I've had many opportunities. I've never read Jung. Yeah. I, I read a little in college, but you know, one of those giant packets where, where somebody at the copy center copied one or two articles by Jung and you were asked to read it as part of it. Never my, even got that far. Yeah. Um, so Isabel takes up the charge of Catherine's work and, um, and begins to, begins to flesh out the theory. And she adds a kind of, um, she, she starts to make this, uh, dichotomous, right? Because extroverted and introverted were always, in opposition to one another. Either or. But sensing and intuiting things then become an either or. Thinking versus feeling. Judging versus perceiving. And it's in, it's in putting those, uh, those four either or questions sub, kind of subsumed, right? Yeah. That, and, and then. That gives you the grid. That gives you the 16 grid. Um, Extroverted, introverted is how you direct your energy. Sensing versus intuiting is how you deal with information. Thinking and feeling is how you make decisions. And then the, the kind of fourth interesting addition is that judging and perceiving is how you interact with the world, right? It's not energy. Extroversion and introversion is what you take from the world. Mm-hmm. And judging and perceiving is how you then take it back out into the world. Do you have a, a good enough sense of how these are used in the literature to like explain to me the difference between a judging and a perceiving person? I, I don't even, I feel like the lay person can understand thinking and feeling, although I don't know if that's actually realistic, but I don't know if I know the, like what, what the real life situations are that show that I'm a sensing versus an intuiting person or a, a judging versus perceiving is the idea that the, is the judging person is quicker to judge. I, well, so uh, again, everyone is uh, every everything is everything, sure. and um, and it isn't as it isn't as simple as like oh, you're very judgmental and you're very perceptive, 
But within the Myers-Briggs universe, judging is, um, is looking for order, is looking for, um, uh, like, is trying to make trying an to establishment. impose patterns. And-, and perceiving is flexible, open-minded. Um, You're willing to. Right. Trying to take, uh, take things as they come. And so, uh, you, you know, I'm uh, on board. And again, it's a dichotomy, right? You're, you're, although it is a bell curve, um, it within Myers Briggs, it's like, well, you're one or the other. That's a much harder one for me to definitively say, um, you know, here's the side I fall on. Hmm. Um, cause it seems like there's more like, uh, maybe you should take the test it, and I should take the test for you. We'll I know, what we that's what the show should have been. Yeah. Is there, and the sensing versus intuition one is more, uh, whether you're, you're going with your gut or you're going on data. This is the decision-making one. Like, is it, is it, I mean, cause even, I think we know now that even intuition is coming from stimuli. It's just, um, so automatic as to be unexamined. Well, I, sensing is somebody, I guess, uh, uh, in its most reductionist sense is living in the moment, right? They are, they're taking in, they're, um, they're taking in through their five senses, what they can evaluate. Whereas an uh, intuition is somebody that's looking for patterns over time. It's like you and I, when we take the test and are trying to, to discern to the, the test, yeah, yeah. The, like the intention of the test and to know that there would be an intention to look for the author in mm. the text. Um, whereas sensing you're just taking, you're taking the test, right? You're, and you're trying to. It's it's like watching a movie where, when I watch a movie, I'm always trying to f- figure out what the writers are getting at. Right. And w- I hate that I've gotten to this point where I've seen so many movies where I'm like just aware of like, okay, I'm being manipulated here, so now I know what's coming. And and in doing that, my podcast, Friendly Fire, with a couple of uh, filmmakers, the late great Friendly Fire, watching movies with somebody that made film and their interpretation was entirely from the standpoint of what is the director doing, right? What is the camera doing? Yeah. And I had no, uh, none of that language. I was looking at what the writer was doing and, and whether the actors were accomplishing what the writer intended. So that's intuitive um, and, you know, versus, versus feeling. Versus sense. Or, I'm sorry, versus it's sense. Thinking versus and feeling. Sense. So thinking uh, of feeling seems like the tricky one because I think it often gets it gets gendered. Yeah, right? well, and you know, and you're either rational or yeah, irrational. I, I'm a rational analytical person. I don't need one of these feeling people. And often this is used to say, I don't need these post-Oprah women right. uh, who can't even back up their opinion. And that's a, a lot of the a lot of the critique of personality tests on the internet uses very uses coded language to kind of dismiss the whole enterprise as something that is, well, I mean, you know, that it's something that happens in Cosmopolitan magazine and it's not something that, uh, that is a, it would happen in popular science magazine. I just want that seventies book that tells me like what colors to wear. Like, am I an autumn? You know that my mom talks about how that, that book really helped her in her career. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, I was always wearing lime green. I was wearing the wrong color. And I'm a spring. So Isabel, took her mother's work and built on it. And the two of them actually worked together. Um, and part of what uh, excited them about 
making this a more universal project was that Isabel had married a guy by the name of Clarence Myers, who uh, just had a very different personality type from the Briggses. Mm. And, and uh, Catherine wanted to figure out like, what were his, what were his four humors? It's, it's like born in marriage counseling. Yeah. And, and in discover, you know, and in, in realizing that the two had very different personality types, then they could better understand one another and have a happier marriage. And in both cases, both women remained married to their husbands until their death. So, well, there you go. Yeah. In that sense, it worked. Uh, so Isabel then during world war two became really interested in trying to apply these techniques to soldiers who it was, you know, this is a perfect way. This is how intelligence testing happened too. Right. Like, world war one, world war two, you got a bunch of, bunch of people all together that you're trying to figure out how to use to the best advantage. Who goes into the auto pool and who goes into combat. Yeah. Um, she wasn't able, uh, although her father was worked at the Bureau of Standards, he did have the ability to get her work kind of, you know, she didn't, it didn't become, it wasn't adopted by the military at the time, but right after the war, she was given access through the George Washington School of Medicine, again, through the auspices of her father. Uh, did he act- have an aegis also? Or did he, he just have auspices? He had an auspices. The, over the top of his auspices were an aegis. I've been working out of a home auspice. Right. <laughs> I haven't been going into the auspice lately. <laughs> I... Uh, I have always only had an aegis and I never have any auspices. I'm imagining an aegis as a kind of nest where you sit. Oh, I thought it was a dome that protected me from meteorites. Oh yeah. It could have both. Hmm. Uh, although I, that's probably because there was a missile system called no, aegis. Your, yours is accurate. Aegis yeah. is Greek for shield. Right. Shield. There you go. I think I just thought it was a nest cause maybe, um, you turn your shield over, you, 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 you you hammer your plowshares into, into sorts. And shields into nests. Mm-hmm. I think it's because Erie has starts with an AE oh, sometimes. AE, yeah. Anyway, so uh, Isabel was uh, given access to 5,500 incoming freshmen, and that's uh, not all in one class. Um, but she was, over the course of several years at, at George Washington School of Medicine, she could give these uh, personality tests to incoming freshmen and then monitor their progress in college to see and to Mm -hmm. refine her test. Right. So there's always this sort of job success, career success element, which which would not have even been questioned back then. Like that's right. That's the proof of the pudding. Although as, as psychology evolved as a, as a, as a discipline and then psychology became less about the mystical and more about the, the, uh, more data driven, this stuff kind of went in and out of fashion. And it was, her work was initially published in 1962, but just in journals, you know, trade journals, uh, not really widely accepted. And in 1975, it then was published in the popular press. Um, and this just really dovetailed with the spirit of the moment, right? 1975, Understand myself. Yeah, we're trying to the understand me generation. Ourselves. Meet yourself. And it was, you know, it it gradually percolated out into the culture, but it was in the 1980s that it started being used in HR departments by what were at the time progressive Fortune 500 companies 
that we're trying to create a better work environment. You know, it's the, the employees happier. Yeah. It's the nine to five generation of companies that were like, well, Hey, you know, maybe this will help us understand why we have certain toxic work environments where this, you know, this manager is failing utterly and so forth. They're worried about morale because that leads to productivity. Right. Um, and so in, in, in a desire to increase productivity, uh, it started to be used not just by fortune 500 companies, but by government agencies. Um, it, it went sort of uh, wildfire in a way that uh, even before the internet took it in be- and made it into, um, you know, uh, populist pop psychology, uh, whatever magazine article, it was something that people encountered and found revolutionary through a test given by their company. That's that's how you want to learn about yourself at your company through your corporation that is your boss. But but anecdotally, a lot of people finally understood why their workplace wasn't you know, and people would actually put their Myers Briggs uh, four letter uh, acronym on the door of their office. Oh, like I'm an INFP. This is how you should interact with it was me. The pronouns of the eighties. Yeah, like come into my office knowing already that and and you and. The, the different orientations all have interactions with one another. They, they're given just, names. Just like how Leos and Gemini should not get married or whatever. That's right. And so if you're this and I'm that, then you can, you can know how... Do, do, do they all have one-word names? Like, I'm the counselor. I'm the consolidator. Uh, that's probably less official, but... They do. They... they um, I'm the paladin. I'm the, I'm the ranger. I'm, I'm the... I'm a magic user. Level eight bard. You know, so an ENFP uh, has a different interaction with an ISFP than with an ISTP. Sure. Um, Stands right. reason. Duh. And so that really informed corporate culture. Now, during this period, the the academic psychologists were saying, we've run a bunch of studies on Myers-Briggs. And it really isn't predictive of outcomes. I have a father-in-law who teaches organizational behavior. He's got a PhD. And every time I talk to him about something that I think I know about his science, he will just say, there's actually no uh, evidence for that whatsoever. Like, and th- uh, this is the problem with with data in psychology. Data. W- what is I did, data? I did finger quotes. You did. Just so you know. You did. It is incredibly difficult to get reliable data in psychology because if you're doing it, if, you, if it's a Q score... If it's Q data, you're you've got a questionnaire, which is intrinsically not only are the questions do they have intrinsic bias, but also you've got people answering, and people are liars or they don't they're not self reflective. Right. And if you're trying to gauge self reflectiveness on the basis of asking people whether or not they're self reflective, right? You're if you're not self reflective, how the hell is is that data reliable? And also L data. Is really hard to come by. How how yeah, the heck? Are, what, what are you counting? Yeah, what as you, you watch that that man or woman do their thing. Is it just that this person makes a lot of money? Is it that this person got a lot of of blue ribbons? Like, how, what is it? So, psychology is just by it's by definition a science where there are a lot of theories, and then it's really hard to prove. And there's probably some 
Heisenberg thing going on now that everybody knows about the uh, the Myers Briggs, sure, and actually adjusts their behavior and outlook accordingly. And I, and there's there there are a lot of people I think, and I you know it, this game where you div, do the Myers Briggs for someone else, you see that there is a tendency to answer aspirationally. Well, I'm an organized person. Yeah, it's like, are you? I mean, you you want to be? I'd love to be, but yeah. but does that mean my room is messy? Um, but some of the uh, some of the criticisms really do um, just they just resonate at face value. I mean, one of them is that there is nothing on the Myers Briggs scale to reflect personality disorders. There's no. That's narcissistic, right? And those things do have diagnostics and uh, and seem a little more rigorous for, for because they have to be, right? And so, no matter where you fall on this spectrum, it's going to give you a rosy picture of who you are and how you work and who you're going to interact. No with. wrong answers, although you do also have borderline personality disorder. Yeah, exactly, right? And so, so it's uh, it's not um, it's not com- comprehensive. I'm sure Hitler was an ESFP or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, but because it's not predictive. Oh, and the other thing is it's not reliable even from person to person. Like it's not, it's not easily repeated. If you take the test in March and you take it again in November, you may come up with a different answer because people are not so, uh, they're not dichotomous. Yeah. And you answer these questions and you do what you and I would do. Like, what does this mean? I mean, I kind of have a messy desk, but I also really keep all the spices in my cupboard organized by color. Which am I? So even if you take the same, the very same questions again, you won't duplicate the right the, the judgment. And so that makes it seem well and uh, puts it kind of firmly in the category of pseudoscience, according to what we think of as science. And the and the. The progression of psychology from being an art to a science isn't wasn't inevitable, right? It could psychology could just as easily be have remained in the philosophy department. Mm-hmm. It's just we have a desire once you're on the track of once you're able to differentiate people by um by what what might be repeatable or or testable qualities then you want that to be a thing that you can put in a box and and uh, put in a box and attach an electrode to somebody's ear earlobes and and tell what kind of person they sure are. we're talking to future people who can just put a little black mirror chip on their forehead and it'll just say uh, <laughs> intp or whatever but where the psychological or where the the professional psychology uh, crew falls um, now is that there are what are described as the big five personality traits. And are these also either ors? No. Oh, they're, interesting. They're a continuum um, and thought of as, as continuum. Um, there still is extroversion and introversion, now recognized as a continuum. But in the case of somebody like me, it isn't a continuum. Both things are true you know, if you ask, you're, you're Schrodinger's extrovert. If you ask a question like I, you know, or if the question is, I walk into a room and think I'm the center of attention, I absolutely do think that. 
But then you ask the question, do you need to go home and recharge for 24 hours without talking yeah. to anybody? Absolutely true. So your results come back in the middle of the thing, but actually you are both, you have the strong traits of an introvert and the strong traits of an extrovert. Right. You just want to be everything. You just want to be Ron Swanson on that test. I want to be everyone all the time. And, oh, and the big five you can think of, uh, the acronym is OCEAN. I'm writing this down. Or okay. CANOE, depending on which way you want to order them. Um, if, you, if we do OCEAN, there's... Um, there's openness, which is kind of, um, again, like a, like a sensing versus what, what, what were we calling that before? That's, um, that's judging versus that's, perception. Is that right? Or is that sense versus intuition? Thinking, thinking versus feeling. Oh, is that thinking versus I mean, feeling? this is really, this is, this just points out like. We can't even tell which correlates to which one. How much it's hard to, to, uh. To speak knowledgeably about it, but openness, which is kind of, uh, which is the, the, the dichotomy there is, are you inventive or are you consistent, right? Are you open Interesting. to, um, it's almost like the, yeah, the, the results of the effect of change in your life. Yeah. Right? You, yeah. Do you assimilate, how, uh, change or are you, do you prefer consistency? Um, are you a see. fixed point in a changing age? Uh, the C is conscientiousness. Are you efficient or are you extravagant? Ah, okay. Um, then extroversion, introversion. And then agreeableness. Are you a friendly person or a critical person? And then finally, and this is the one that was absent from all the other versions of this that seemed to be the kind of uh, crystallizing or or defining new edition that makes it now um, more uh, like, like legitimately practical more accurate and predictive is neuroticism. Like how well adjusted are you? Well, and how nervous and anxious are you? Yeah. Are you somebody that just has a positive a outlook and feels like everything's going to work out or are, are you neurotic and neurotic being uh, like a very knowable, uh, Thing about a person and it, it, at the level almost of introversion or extroversion, like, like whether or not you are, um, conscientious maybe is more difficult to tell than whether or not you're neurotic. And that one to me is very much the, like that, like extroversion, introversion, that's one I can actually see. Like I have a, like I'm kind of stable enough that I just have a hard time understanding the, the life and times and challenges of my more neurotic friends and relatives and children. <laughs> so it, it, these are, these are tough in parenting, I think, you know, yeah, but, but also like, but insightful, like being a parent is revelatory. Yeah. Right. So these are, this is the taxonomy that now is, uh, is accepted within, because of course this is all stuff that, that the clinical psychologists want to in, in, engage. Uh, these are, these are questions that would be very useful and, and it's part of, it's part of the discipline. Some of these appear to have good and bad answers. Unlike, unlike the Myers-Briggs, you know, like presumably, uh, a neurotic person would like to be a little more well-adjusted. <laughs> presumably, uh, an antagonistic person would like to be a little more agreeable or at least their friends would like them to. Yeah. And it's, and, and to its, to, I think it's credit pop to its, um, to its academic credit, it's no longer trying to give you good news about yourself no matter what right it's trying to it's trying to describe you and it might do a better 
job of describing Hitler. <laughs> right. I mean, some of these are things you want to address. I guess the virtue of the Myers-Briggs test, though, is that for decades, um, at least people were thinking about their personality, you know, as, as not a, you know, not only something that they would have, you know, implicit was the fact that it's not something you can work on. It's not something you can share with or differ from in others. It's not something you have any, you know, people would just kind of take it as a, as a, a baked in fact of life that they would not have to examine at all, you know, and a lot of other things go unexamined in that your biases, the way you treat others, the way you make decisions, the way others make decisions or what you think about that. You know, just thinking about the dimensions of this seems like they would help a lot of people, even if, even if the categories turned out to be arbitrary. Yeah. Unfortunately, right now, the zeitgeist is to, uh, to swing the other way of, of Myers-Briggs. But I think, um, and you know, and to think that Myers and Briggs were two uh, bearded men who were arguing at the University of Pennsylvania. I was absolutely imagining two men in gray flannel suits, or maybe white lab coats. But what it really was was a was a um, a mother daughter team, both sort of polymaths, and they had a utopian hope for this test. And one of the criticisms of Myers Briggs is that. In order to actually take the test, it costs money. Mm. Myers Briggs itself is a it, you know makes two million dollars a year, and to the, this day, yeah. And the way they do is that the people that pay to take the Myers Briggs are companies. It's still a thing that that corporations use, even in spite of all this sort of frothy denunciation of it. Corporations still use it, and that's how the Myers Briggs company makes. It's money. Well, now that Myers and Briggs are dead, I don't care about their heirs and employees. I'll tear, I'll torrent or pirate that test. I but don't care. Interestingly, the company itself prohibits its use in recruitment and job selection for uh, on behalf of companies. They're they're not able to, you know, they rely on whistleblowers to call attention to it. So once you work at a place, you could take it, but you're not supposed to give it to applicants. You're not supposed to give it to applicants, although it does happen all the time. Huh. And you're not supposed to be shunted into a particular job because of it. So Myers-Briggs itself acknowledges that it is a, you know, it's not predictive. It's not, it's a, it's. Come take our just for fun test. It's loosey-goosey, but Which it's. Which cocktail are you? <laughs> it's meant to help you. If you don't become dogmatic about it, you're you're meant to get this information and have it be a revelation. It's not supposed to be a thing that you hang around your neck. It's not a scarlet letter. Um, and, you know, and I think a lot of the criticism of it is that it's like so many things misapplied in the in the world. And that was never the intention of its of the people that developed it. Well, of course, you think that such an INTP. And that concludes Myers-Briggs, entry 821.2T0223, certificate number 36282 in the omnibus. Before we go, in case this is the only one of these records you find in the rubble of civilization, uh, you should know that uh, when social media gets revived after the neutron pulse or whatever, you can uh, you can find our... Doing the neutron dance. <laughs> you can find our work uh, archived at Omnibus Project. I was at Ken Jennings. John was at John Roderick. You can find him at his 
Patreon, among other places. Just put in his name. See what happens. See what happens. Maybe what you'll happens. maybe you'll give him money. Yeah, maybe the maybe the, it's still there. The feds will show up at the door. <laughs> what is the currency of your era? Is it psychedelic fungi? Is it giant coins the size of a house with a square hole in them? Whatever it is, uh, I'm sure John would love to have some. Oh, my great 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 grand orbs will will yeah. appreciate it very much. <laughs> I guess we'll see. No, I need it now. Uh, well, that might be tricky. You, um, we received email at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Please send us your Myers-Briggs findings and quibbles, uh, for use in our addenda show. We now do a monthly addenda show for our Patreon subscribers. Super Um, duper great. Check out patreon.com slash omnibusproject and see the kind of, uh, intense omnibus experience you have been, the intense and immersive omnibus experience you have been missing as a casual and frankly tight-fisted listener. Um, for just $5 a month, you can hear the Addenda show. Um, at higher levels, uh, listeners are able to choose topics for shows. In fact, this Myers-Briggs show was suggested by Gus. Thank you, Gus. Thanks, Gus. And, Super uh, fun. It was a great idea. I like, you know, we often get a lot of history suggestions for shows because that's kind of the, that's the bread and butter yeah. of Omnibus. But I kind of like the idea that we're covering a whole a whole corpus of of how humans think and interact and um Myers that's, our, that's our intention um gus also um i think you know the the suggestions often come from their knowledge of us even though they have not given us any personality indicator tests for example gus also thought we could do a full show on the jesuits right or i the, have a long history with them or but a, i couldn't pick which uh which which genocide to really zoom in on <laughs> wow <laughs> or uh you know he knows you like um I guess Gus and you both enjoy 80s and 90s military aircraft, so he had an Air Force idea for a show. So right. I think it's actually good that the it makes the suggestions very sensible when they reflect the show's previous aesthetic and biases. Yeah. Um, I almost picked both of those topics and may, you know, this is one where Gus may get a... Get a twofer. You get a little bonus someday when you're mm-hmm. lazy about picking a topic, mm-hmm. when the inspiration gods are not like, there. You know what? I do know a lot about the Jesuits. You could send us physical artifacts in our day to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. I have here a few such artifacts. Here's a note from Matt, who is um, a scoutmaster. He, uh-huh. he enjoyed the show about the history of scouting and the siege of Mafia King. He, um, I get, where's he from? Oh, he's from Sandy, Utah, but he's not a Latter-day Saint. So he was well aware of the dichotomy we talked about between... Um, the uh, Mormon scouts who pretty much had to do it, and the scouts of other faiths who were who actually loved it, and the implications thereof. Um, but he says he's consumed enough omnibus, friendly fire, and Roderick on the line to be a character witness for you. So, by the power vested in him by BSA scouts, he would like to reinstate your totem chip. <gasps> no. He sent me a totem chip? It's signed by him, a scout leader, so that's oh, legitimate. wow. Oh, man. You know, it's been 40 years. You have not been able to tote anything with legitimacy in 40 years, and you can begin toting once again. Wow, 40 years later, and I have to sign the back here. It says the scout symbol, or scout signature. I have read and understand wood tools use. I can demonstrate proper handling, care, and use of a pocket knife and axe. 
I will use knife, axe, and saw as tools, not playthings. That's where I fell afoul. Well, that's what Matt says. He says if Matt, he, if he ever sees you throwing a hatchet, he will not hesitate to strip your accreditation. Yeah, and only when I'm willing to give them my full attention. Again, I was busted. Did, did the chip used to be an actual chip of some kind? Because this is a business card. This is something you put Totem in your chip. wallet. No, it was a it was a card. It was always a card. Yeah, oh. although it didn't have this cool font. Um, I will not cut standing trees or shrubs without specific permission, and I have violated that uh, rule you, well, two you, times you, in my life. Well, oh, I see. You're, you, don't you routinely go into your backyard and... Well, now I do in my own backyard, but I have specific permission. From you. I'm the landlord, but I, I have I have cut down two trees in my life uh, wantonly, and in both cases I re- regretted it. You're a murderer. Uh, I immediately regretted it because I did murder these trees unnecessarily. I feel like that's how you lost your first totem chip, and Matt should be aware of this. Yeah, well, but I have my totem chip back. Matt, I couldn't be happier. Thank you so much. We also got two cool artifacts from Lee, who, oh, this is very cool. He's a theatrical lighting designer, and he's a director of theater at a uh, academic institution you would have heard of. Excellent. I don't want to... He doesn't want to mention? Well, I, I don't know how much I should dox people on this show. I like, see. Would he mind if I said where he was the director of theater? He sent... <laughs> I bet he's into it. Speaking of Q data slash fiction, he sent me an old gold key Star Trek comic. That's hot. With a very cool cover. For some reason, it has... Um, March 1976. For some reason, it has a, a, a Roman chariot, uh, Scotty firing a phaser at a, a some kind of a... Uh, herpes virus 19th century gunfighter yeah oh. and, and then there's a glowing giant virus and then there's a is that the general lee uh, no what? that's that's an a, a tra- what is that it's an amx an american motors uh hot rod from the 1970s i've watched a lot of star trek and i've never seen a single amc car i mean, I mean the amx is kind of a that that's a kind of a weird thing to put on the cover of that but it was 1976 uh, it's hard to explain why well, it always makes me want to read it to see what the what the uh what the gremlin or whatever oh it's a time travel whoa story. you took it out of the of the sleeve are you crazy it's because i love the smell of um acidy paper decomposing does it have a uh, an ad for sea monkeys it's got my favorite kind of ad even better than sea monkeys ad do you know these uh, old hostess ads where um some crime will be happening, but then um, a, a Twinkie will appear. Yeah, exactly. Spider Man or the Flash will offer the 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 ne'er do well a, a ding dong or something, oh, that's and nice. and he'll stop. This one is um, not a superhero one. It's Coyote and the Roadrunner, and the wait. Does the Roadrunner give the Coyote a ding dong? It's very confusing. You are not going to believe the third act here. The Coyote is doing his usual to the Roadrunner and mm-hmm. the Roadrunner's family. Interestingly, suddenly Daffy Duck runs up. Gives the, gives the coyote a Twinkie and, and stops the attack. Wow. Uh, Thanks, Daffy. I didn't know that sp- Daffy... Speaking of canon... Did Daffy ever appear in the... Is Daffy in the in Southwest? The, in How did he get there? Usually he's hanging out with Porky. You get, my friend... Oh, he gave you the comic and he got me something? He got you a copy of How to Hide Almost Anything. <gasps> Ooh. A book of... You know, this is for your new house. Yeah, he to knows secret away my... Your, your ingots. My ingots. He's worried about your opsec. Oh, look at the author of this book, David Krotz. Look at those glasses. He's hiding something there. That guy. With a cigarette in his author photo. I you, like David Krotz. You don't Krotz. see that a lot anymore. Sketchy. Thank you so much, Lee and Matt. Uh, those were lovely. Again, you could send your own contributions to the P.O. Box number I just read, and uh, uh, I'm not going to do it again because I can't be troubled to. Find other futurelings on Facebook or Discord or elsewhere. Um, 
turn your parasocial relationship with us into a real social relationship with other like-minded young people for some clean, wholesome fun. Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived, but we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the honor.